Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses or your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Welcome back, prom party. School's in for the summer, I guess. School is in for the summer. I mean, it's also not the summer. Everything about this feels like a summer vacation movie because they're like abroad. It, it feels like spring break. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Because we're in Greece, baby. Yeah. The the place, not the... Uh, not the film? Not the film. <laughs> <laughs> We've done that. It's done. <laughs> the deed is done. <laughs> Hi, friends. Welcome back. We are doing another one of our seasonal teen movie hell episodes. If this is your first time joining us for a teen movie hell episode, we're going back to the wild and sometimes very ridiculous world of 70s, 80s sex comedies. And we are doing this to pay honor and homage to the late, great Mike McBeardo McPadden, the author of the book Teen Movie Hell. Truly the Bible of our show. And also, these don't have to be sex comedies. They, they just, just often are. are. <laughs> don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead was not a sex comedy. That's a very good point. It was they not just a sex comedy. usually are. They're, they're <laughs> cult classics on a good day. Yeah, like that's being generous. Like, I was talking to somebody at work the other day talking about my favorite kind of films, and I'm like, don't get me wrong, I love me a cult classic. Do you know what I love more than a cult classic? Films no one's ever fucking heard of. <laughs> anyway, that's this segment. <laughs> yeah, so that's pretty much what we do. We do them seasonally just as a way to kind of thank the people that came before us that were putting in this like very important work of dissecting this particular brand of cinema that frequently gets shit on. Mm-hmm. Mike was the best. Uh, miss him very much. And, you know, as always, this episode's for you, man. Mm-hmm. All right. So, whoo, pretty smart. Harmony. This is a movie that neither of us had seen. No. We just... I found it uh, I found it randomly. Because mm-hmm. that happens actually a lot where I'll be looking up like, oh, the context of something else that we're covering. Mm-hmm. And then I'll find a movie and go, well, what the fuck is this? Introducing Patricia Arquette. What? Mm-hmm. Patricia Arquette's in a weird like boarding school, popular girls versus like alternative girls film from the 80s. This sounds kind of tight. And then we watch the trailer. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. okay. It's like, I, it's like, kind of like a class warfare thing. I get it. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in this. And that is not the movie that this is. I mean, it is, but it is so much more. Yeah, and it, we were dumbfounded. It absolutely is not what the trailer would have you believe. No. To the point where we looked at Pretty Smart. We watched the trailer. We're like, this looks like a lot of fun. And then we we took to the Bible. We went to Teen Movie Hell. 
and I read Mike's passage. So I'm going to read said passage for this episode, and I want you all to know that this is going to encapsulate what would typically be our historical content as well as our synopsis Mm -hmm. because I feel like this is a movie a lot of people have never seen or ever heard of and I'm hoping that by us telling you what it's about you're gonna go what the hell I have to see this kind of like okay reading this before we watched it I went uh, uh, like (laughs) I was a robot that you had spilled water on and there was just sputterings of of fragmented thoughts and noise. And maybe a little bit of sparks. A little bit. It's <laughs> fine. So, yeah, BJ, hit, hit me with this, this plot synopsis. I will absolutely do that. But before I hit you with that plot synopsis... It's time for morning announcements. Mm-hmm. This week, the only morning announcement we have is a reminder that we have a Patreon. Patreon.com backslash This Ends at Prom. Our community has been growing so much lately, and it's very exciting. There are so many of you to talk to, and so many of you that you can talk to each other, and it's fantastic. And as a reminder, we have our bonus episode. That's always kind of a general topic. We have playlists. We announce the schedule ahead of time. We have our Sadie Hawkins dance, where Harmony has me watch teen boy movies. And we are currently doing our TV homecoming series, where we are making our way through Pen 15. We have like a hundred different things of free content that's available right there if you come to our Patreon. Yeah. And also, we just talked a lot about masturbation and teenage sex in our Pen 15 episode (laughs) that went up on the Patreon. So seems seems appropriate yes <laughs> hope you hope you have a good time there um but again we know that it may not be within your financial means to support that way at this time we totally understand so all we ask is that you share the show with a friend tag us on social media when you're listening to us and give us that five-star review wherever it is you get your podcasts mm-hmm. thank you all so much all righty Let's dive in and hear what Mike has to say about Pretty Smart. Pretty Smart filters the plot specifics and the nudity of a tawdry women-in-prison pot boiler like Chained Heat (laughs) through a wholesome sheen and fashion blender of peak 1980s teen chick flicks like girls just want to have fun. Remarkably, the twain doth meet here with bizarre effectiveness. Somehow this saga, a European girl's boarding school headmaster, secretly videotapes fornicating students for profit and then uses them to run drugs, comes off as a sweet coming-of-age tale in which two young sisters learn, at last, that their differences are what makes them such a perfect team. The movie is also loaded with foul language. In the movie, Ogilvy Academy is a ritzy finishing institution located in a castle on a Greek island. Gothy rebel Daphne Ziggs Ziggler, played by Trisha Lee Fisher, who's great, and her perky blonde sister Jennifer Jen Ziggler, Lisa Laurient, who's there. (laughs) That's such a great description. Are shipped to this locale by their well-to-do parents. We see their entire life stories play out in still photos while the wondrously bratty synth-pop song plays over the opening credits. At Ogilvy, Jen quickly finds her place among the fine-scrubbed, bubble-headed preens, short for Supremes, while Ziggs falls in with the punky, new-wave, multiracial misfits, the subs. Among the latter is Zero, Patricia Arquette, who explains that the name is thought to stand for subhumanoids, but they say that it's for subculture. Zero's subculture seems to be that she chain-puffs blue cigarettes. 
For a while, some fairly standard sleepover school stuff happens, sex ed, stupid etiquette lessons, impromptu dorm room dance parties, pillow fights, late night bonding conversations, cafeteria showdowns, and incidental nudity. The supporting cast of Stunners include future B-movie action heroine Julie K. Smith as Samantha Falconwright, a sub who could pass as a preem. And lording all of them all is headmaster Richard Crowley, 70s TV hunk Dennis Cole, a squinty-eyed prick who gets up to global criminal scuzzery on the side. Crowley looks like a rapidly aged Ricky Schroeder gone rancid, oozing smarmy sleaze with searing villainous impact. Ziggs repeatedly torments Crowley through pranks, such as pretending she's hugely pregnant during a live TV profile of the school. She delivers a crazily elaborate shock rock performance at a fancy benefit soiree. The girls start to suspect that Crowley is not just mean, but evil, after he fires their very cool English teacher, Miss Gentry, Kim Waltrip, for joining some students in topless sunbathing. There's so much toplessness in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> when Crowley's underage pornography and drug trafficking ring comes to light, the preems and the subs unite and take him down in grand fashion. They show Crowley their own secretly made tape of how they thwarted his cocaine and heroin shipment to Rome, really rubbing it in his face with a shot of powdery white lines that spell out no dope for the Pope. The girls have a grand chuckle when an infuriated mobster calls about the missing goods and promises to kill Crowley. A happy ending soon follows, complete with a return from exile from the topless teacher and more of that fabulous theme music. The theme music, which is by Trisha Lee Fisher herself. Yes, it is. Love she that. is fantastic. Um, also, for those who don't know this at home, Trisha Lee Fisher, the sibling of Jolie Fisher, which also means the sibling of Carrie Fisher. Mm-hmm. What royalty we are dealing with in this movie. Oh, royalty indeed. Um, I love that we normally don't go through the entire plot synopsis of a movie prior to discussing it, but it's really important to everyone understands precisely what we're dealing with when we're going to talk about this movie. Absolutely. And I feel like this is one of those movies where it's been around for a very long time. So to be like, oh, spoilers, like that's not going to ruin your this, experience. This is also like such a cult film. And I promise you... Y- you will still be stunned. Absolutely. And part of the allure is knowing how are they going to make this work. I, uh-huh. I wrote a piece for Slash Film recently about the movie The O in Ohio, and I spoiled all of it. I was like, hey, yeah, no, this is a movie where Parker Posey can't have an orgasm because Paul Rudd is bad at sex, so she gets her first orgasm from Danny DeVito. And everyone was like, I'm sorry, what? Oh, steamy pool sex mm-hmm. after having, like, lesbian relations with Heather Graham. Exactly. So, like, I said all of those things, and it's like, yeah, that's the entire movie, but that is what made people want to watch it. Mm-hmm. I feel like that description <laughs> that Mike has for Pretty Smart is what would make people want to watch this. Because if you're like, oh, yeah, it's just a... A fun little 80s romp of, you know, girls in a rivalry at a boarding school. Like, that's not interesting. But if it's like, the headmaster is secretly, voyeuristically recording them have sex and selling it for profit so that he can front a drug empire, mm-hmm. Um, now, now we're in a more interesting game and we should talk about this. And mind you, unbeknownst to these girls... They are also drug mules. Yes, they have no idea that they're being used as drug mules. Okay, so um, I want to talk about the context of this movie just a little bit. But before we get there, I just want to ask a very important question. Yes. With everything we just discussed. Yes. Who the fuck is this movie for? I have no idea. Okay. I've thought long and hard about like who this movie is for. And in my brain, I'm like, this movie's for adults. Like This is for like leery, gross dude adults who want to look at what in their brains is underage topless girls. Like mm-hmm. that's what they want. Because at this point in cinema, that's what teen movies were. Like they, they just 
they were sex comedies Mm -hmm. and it was almost required to have nudity in order to get them made like that was the guaranteed money maker for Mm -hmm. so many of these production companies so that's why we get a lot of these this movie comes from new world pictures (sighs) so harmony what do you know about new world pictures I've seen their logo pop up before a few films that I enjoy, but I couldn't tell you which one's offhand. Okay. So if you've ever seen the logo of what looks like a ball that you're looking at through blinds, mm-hmm. that is the New World Pictures yes. uh, graphic. I asked our, our dear friend, Wes Allen, guest for our last American Virgin episode, because this is very much his shtick. Mm-hmm. I was like, look, I'm pretty familiar with this company, but I know that you can encapsulate this better than I can. So if you had to describe to somebody what New World Pictures was all about, what would you say? And this is Wes's response, and it is perfect. They went from the Cormans, so like Roger Corman, forming it as a film production company to a multimedia company who purchased Marvel fucking comics Mm -hmm. like i need you to process like remember way back in the day when marvel comics was not like a disney empire that made a bajillion dollars Mm -hmm. yet they were once owned by new world and we just that's ridiculous to me they just kept shifting their focus they bought tv stations they sold off parts of the company made mergers filed for bankruptcy and everything in between but their legacy is cemented in the fact that they brought a fuckload of batshit movies to the world via vhs They were integral in the expansion of modest budget genre movies. And technically, as an entity, New World still exists. Good to hear. We we love to see you thriving, or at least surviving. We do. And if you're, like, they put out a lot of the movies of the teen movie hell that we'll talk about. Like, they did Rock and Roll High School. they did Angel. They did Angel. um, For non-teen fair, like, The Big Bird Cage. Like, they did a lot of kind of schlocky movies, but ones that we all love. I love schlock. So, like, that is the world that we're playing with here. Like, this is not, like, Paramount and Universal. Like, this is schlock. And mm-hmm. it's important to to make that distinction because I fear sometimes that people go into, like, older titles and then when they are not, you know, the Hollywood caliber that, mm-hmm. they, that they're used to seeing, they're like, what the hell is this? <laughs> this isn't Taken. This is Night of the Juggler. Yeah, yes. God, I love Night of the Jugglers so much. Yeah. Not about clowns or or juggling. No. But um, check that movie out, too. Boy, it's a lot. So, because uh, we're playing in a schlock world, I, I really wanted to dig kind of deep into teen cinema for 1987 to okay. figure out what we're looking at. Okay, so okay. You have the post-John Hughes squeaky clean fair that exists out there. Correct. So, like, some kind of wonderful is is the big John Hughes outing for this year, but you also have, like... Dirty Dancing, Princess Bride, Can't Buy Me Love, Adventures in Babysitting, and The Lost Boys also very successful, mm-hmm. but not as squeaky clean as the rest of these. Right, right. So those are like your big studio things. Those are big mainstream things. Mm-hmm. Let's go one layer below that and just mm-hmm. kind of keep digging until we hit rock bottom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you have multiple John Cryer pictures who come out this year, and neither of them were successful because John Cryer apparently is just not a leading man mm-hmm. by way of... Morgan Stewart's Coming Home mm-hmm. and Hiding Out, neither of which was very successful, neither of which I think anyone's heard of. Hiding Out, weirdly, because you mentioned it to me and I was like, I know that I read this title recently and I don't know why. It's because I was doing research for senior year, mm-hmm. the upcoming movie with Rebel Wilson as a 37-year-old who goes back to high school because she wakes for, up from a coma. 
And I was looking up like different movies that were about adults going to high school and hiding yeah. out came up. Yep. See, yep, yep, yep. He's hiding from the mob in that movie. You know what? I would also hide at a high school. The mob's not going to be looking for me in math class. True. Speaking of criminal activity, um, who's that girl starring Madonna? A mm-hmm. movie where she is framed <laughs> for the murder of her boyfriend and then falls in love with the man who's helping her try to solve the murder. Oh, boy. That came out this year. Yippee. Um <laughs> Mannequin, Academy Award nominated film Mannequin. Hey, Mannequin's fucking rules. I love Mannequin. <laughs> I know. I'm just, it, it kills me that it's nominated for an Academy Award for best <laughs> original song. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Mannequin has some like very serious problematic elements well, in the course. sense of like, I want a woman that's exactly what I want. Like, yeah, that's a problem. And also, but, she's inhabited by like an ancient Egyptian spirit. Yeah, there's like a lot of issues going on. But like taking all of that out of the equation, like that movie's just schlocky and fun. Yeah, that's what this whole category of our, of our, revisit is about Mm -hmm. so a movie we actually covered very recently for our twilight episode was near dark oh yeah oh i love near dark near dark the schlock version of lost boys from this year um i would say that it is the opposite i think near dark is a far more serious film than lost boys hey it just didn't have the studio backing i agree but in terms of like a cult film like that's just where it ended up yeah it's a cult film history is choosing to remember it. it's not schlock it's a cult film there's a difference i know well it's it's a square rectangle situation this is like the different people go um excuse me not all martial arts movies are kung fu movies well yeah it's that's what i said it's a square rectangle situation exactly so (laughs) Teen Wolf 2, which I did not realize there was a second Teen Wolf. Yeah, that was fun. You were like, Teen Wolf 2. And I was like, yeah. Did you not know that was a movie? Nope. Well, <laughs> specifically also it's spelled 2 as in T-O-O. Yes. For some reason. I'm sure that's that... funny. Great. Why not? Um, Slumber Party Massacre 2. Um, which I would argue might be the better of the two because it's a musical. I haven't seen it, but I know that that one is somehow even more schlocky than the original because it had a budget of like $14. Yes, and it's a musical. Yes. Um, Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise. No, thanks. We can move on. <laughs> Hunk, oh which my I know God. you are a big fan of. Okay, so Hunk is a movie that we have watched with our movie night group, and I just need you all to know that it is about the nerdiest boy alive, like selling his soul to be a guy named Hunk Goldman, and he's very cool and handsome, and everyone loves him, and mm-hmm. this movie is ridiculous because the devil is there, and he frequently just takes the form of, like, Genghis Khan. At one point, he's Hitler. Like, he just takes all of these really scary, like, famous people in history forms. It's so wild and weird and schlocky and fun and absurd. Big fan. Love it. Yeah, big and, fan. Um... One more film that I think is worth bringing up from this year. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Flowers in the Attic. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Flowers in the Attic. Yes. So we are a <laughs> far cry from John Hughes' world. Yeah, we're yeah we're playing in a very weird sandbox now. Yeah. What's that? Oh, it's a uniform. Something Crowley came up with. It shows cleavage. What the hell? We don't have to wear on that often, anyways. Just when he wants to impress someone. Who's Crawley? The administrator. Or the Ken doll who was doing PR outside. Yeah. Hi. Yuko. This is Torch. You know Zero and you're... Ziggler? Ziggs. Well, this place runs on stereotypes. So I'm the smart one. Zero's the tough but vulnerable one. And Torch is... The black one. The worldly one. What are you? The quiet one. <laughs> Can't be. Avril's the quiet one. So if I were to encapsulate the everything going on this year, obviously we have proved 
through the John Hughes formula and through like the slasher success that there is a market for teen films and they can be extremely financially successful. Correct. That said, not all of them are going to be like 80 to $100 million raking in films. Mm-hmm. And there is the uh, the lower sort of video rental quality ones, the the low budget indie release ones, or in this case, borderline teen exploitation in the case of Pretty Smart. Pretty Smart is absolutely a teen exploitation film. One that, like they are literally being exploited. Teen like exploitation, it's in the plot. <laughs> but with a lot of heart. Yes, absolutely. Which and is weird. Weirdly progressive politics. Yeah. So um, in doing research for these, I actually found a, a Roger Ebert review of Hiding Out, which I think encapsulates most of these films and specifically the one we're talking about. Um, I'm only going to read like a sentence from it. And uh, while describing Hiding Out, he said that this is an example of the newest Hollywood genre, the Generation Squeeze, in which plots artificially combine adult and teenage elements. And I think that that is a great way to describe a very, very hard to describe subgenre that exists across many genres. That sounds very, very accurate to me. So... That's kind of where we're at. Like, we we have rolled out the red carpet for this film that has never been greeted warmly, probably ever. BJ, let's let's really dive into Pretty Smart. Let's go. Okay. So, as Mike said in his thing, we're focusing on two sisters, but really, we're focusing on one. Oh, no. The other sister isn't even on the cover. No. The cover is Trisha Lee Fisher and Patricia Arquette, yes. like that is the cover. And Patricia Arquette is not the sister. That's her no. friend that she meets at the academy. Also, they like make her look all tough. Like she's got like a leather jacket on. She's like, oh, she's so cool. But like she's very meek and colorful and not at all looking like a like a badass in mm-hmm. this movie. So it's again, it's really weird marketing from this whole film. Yeah. So right off the bat, we meet Ziggs, and she is the character that you and I both gravitated towards immediately. Yeah, she's fucking cool. She's really cool. She dresses like she's been raiding Cindy Lauper's closet. Oh, yeah. Like, great fashion sense, really mouthy, like, doesn't let people tell her what to do. Mm-hmm. It, like, d- deliberately shows up late to things because she thinks that it's a crock of shit she's, that she's, she's been such sent a rebel. there. Yeah, she's a rebel. Yeah. And I really, really like that. And what's funny is that they have the group of the preens who are these, like, bottle blonde like tanning bed orange tan girls mm-hmm. samantha Falconwright's nipples are out a like 90 percent of this movie because She's... she wears lace shirts samantha Falconwright, our our main like malibu barbie type preen mm-hmm. she has a uh, a samantha fox vibe to her and we always like a samantha fox type absolutely we, we love a, a blonde thing like pam and tommy like pamela anderson's like the hotness right now even though that show fucked her over so yeah, I that is a tirade that if you get me on, I will not stop. So we'll we'll avoid that nonsense. Uh, yeah, that show's made without her consent. Pro tip, unless you didn't know that. Exactly. So, um, but yeah, the the actress who plays Samantha Falcon right is Julie K. Smith. Uh, she will eventually go on to have a pretty big career in like B movies, and also she was a Penthouse Pet of the Month. Mm-hmm. So. She is she's like on years her way. later, right? Yeah. So she her nipples being out most of this movie, she's on her way for what she's going to make a career doing. So like this is not a big stretch for her. Yes. But one thing that I actually brought up to you while we were watching it is there's a lot of unnecessary sex things. Like we see girls boxing in like their pajamas while jumping on the bed at one point. It's like this is mm-hmm. such a weird this is such a distinct male fantasy thing. Yes. Um they're just hanging out with their with their shirts off all the time. Yeah. 
But also, like, there is, like, a distinct voyeuristic approach to this, Mm -hmm. especially from um, Mr. Crawley. But when it's not being viewed through his TV, it doesn't feel nearly as skeevy. It just feels like women hanging out. Yes, that's a really, really good point. Like, when we're looking through his TV recordings, it feels really icky. It's like we're seeing things that we shouldn't be seeing. Yeah, it's mostly a lot of sexual situations, particularly. Because it's them in, like, when they're having sex or when they're, like, hanging out, getting ready for bed. Or, like, like they just got out of the shower kind of thing. Yeah, they're very specifically intimate moments. Yes. And it feels like you're leering on them, which Mm -hmm. is really gross. Which is, like, the point. But then, like, we get to the sunbathing scene and... When we see them, they're all just like hanging out topless. Or there's a scene where they they all go to the beach and they're all sunbathing again, so they're they're all topless. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't feel sexualized. No, they're just existing nude because they're comfortable with each other because this is like their community and they don't want tan lines. Yeah, well, they, I mean, these are just girls feeling comfortable in an all girls school, and also it's very European. Yeah, yeah, that's part of it too because they do drink multiple times oh yeah we had to look up like what like oh my god bj we had to look up how old you have to be to drink in greece and what did you find so what i found is that you have to be 18 to buy it but there is no actual drinking age for consumption (laughs) at the time in 1986 when this was shot oh my god I was like, oh, yeah. So, like, if somebody buys them alcohol at a, like, at a restaurant or whatever, they can just drink their faces off and no one's going to say anything. Yeah, and they have a great party. They have a killer band with, like, There's an accordion. Oh, my God. The accordion player is going to town. Yeah. There's there's a lot of fun that they have. But when we are talking about Ziggs, like, she's obviously our our de facto leader. Mm -hmm. She becomes the, like, kind of the leader of the subs pretty much immediately when she gets there because she she doesn't take any shit from anybody. Mm -hmm. And the subs are classified as, like, subculture. Yes. Um, They are the non-white girls, for Mm -hmm. one. Um, We have, like, Yuko, who is the bomb.com. I'm obsessed with Yuko. She's so funny. Yuko is great and also has no fucking chill. No chill at all. Oh, she's awesome. Your favorite moment, though, is when she came out of... (laughs) She came out of her dorm because people are sneaking around and she just has a big-ass cookie and a glass of milk. Yeah, and she continues to sneak while just eating cookies and milk. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> Hugo's <laughs> awesome. Um, but then you have, like, Patricia Arquette, who is not super counterculture. Like, she does smoke cigarettes, which makes her kind of a bad girl. Uh-huh. But she's very meek and timid, and she's very quiet. I think she's just not hot enough. And that's kind of what it feels like. Like, she doesn't have, like, the the high-maintenance aesthetic as some of the preens, so she doesn't get to be a part of that group, and she's accepted by the subs. Like, it's very much, like, two very distinct groups at this school true though there's actually is a third group too that oh, is yes. really a non-issue <laughs> yeah. it's the swedes yeah they're because they're in in greece and because it's a private academy there are a group of girls who uh are there from sweden and they, most of them are named ingrid they don't speak a lot of english uh they're all beautiful and blonde but they're kind of just presented as ha, 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 look at the foreigners yeah um 1987 that's where we are, baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, so with that kind of like throwaway humor to them, there's a lot of weird throwaway humor in this movie. There's a lot of like, 
Okay, this movie is way funnier than it should be at times. Like, the running joke of the tour guides? Yes. So, this oh. ca- this castle that the school is in, it, like, apparently, in order to help pay off, like, the debts or whatever for them to rent it out, there are tours that are constantly happening. So, frequently, scenes in classrooms or, like, big meetings or whatever will get... like, lunch, whatever. Lunch will get interrupted by a woman in a suit that's a tour guide with, like, a group of different... It's a different group every single time. Mm-hmm. And she will name off facts about the castle and they are all absolutely ridiculous. They're incredible. And just so funny. Maybe. And like, these are things that I'm not going to spoil for you if you choose to watch it because they're so hilarious that you're, like, and it's impossible to know where she's going to go with them. Yeah. I mean, in a perfect world, I would just have a super cut of this tour guide interrupt our entire episode <laughs> with fun facts, but I really do not want to give them away because they are the funniest jokes in the movie. Yeah. They're hilarious. Like every single one of them, like no notes, every joke lands. Yeah. They're great. Love it. Um, So there's a lot of little stuff like that that keeps popping through, but for the most part this movie is just like it's a lot of teen mischief Uh of like pulling pranks and you know throwing parties and doing whatever but then it takes such a hard turn when they figure out what's going on with Uh this with this headmaster and they have perfectly rational responses to that which is let's cut his dick off yeah like that's one of them (laughs) or like they look at something and they're like what the fuck like it's not even like a oh my god i can't believe he did this it's like oh no he's gotta die yeah like like i love that that is their first place they go yeah the, <laughs> mind you all of them like the subs ac- and the yes across are the both board. just like no fuck this dude <laughs> yeah it's it's really great um because what is also happening at this school and is kind of the heart of of the whole thing is the teacher calls out the fact that the preens get preferential treatment because they, you know, do everything that this headmaster likes. Like, they're all very, like, clean cut. They're all very preppy. They all have a certain look. They're all very obedient. They, they look really nice on TV shows yeah. and, and brochures. These are, like, the blonde assimilation, like, poster children. Mm-hmm. Like, so he treats them really well. And then at the same time, he treats all of the subs really terribly because these are kind of, like, our, our free thinkers and our more rebellious girls. Mm-hmm. So what he ended up doing is creating like essentially a gang war between these two groups of girls and he doesn't have to worry about any of them turning on him because they're too busy fighting with each other yeah and that is pointed out very with no frills by their favorite teacher the one who sunbathes I think her name is Miss Gentry. Yeah, so that's Miss Gentry. She's also the teacher who gets kicked out of the school for sunbathing. And the reason she does it is because, like, she used to go to this school. So Mm -hmm. she obviously feels very comfortable. She knows the culture of the school really well. And, like, the girls have no issue with it. Like, it's not like, oh, my God, our teacher. Like, they're like, oh, okay, cool. She even brings them Band-Aids. Like, do you want to cover your nipples? you want to protect those? Because you're going to get sunburned on your nipples. And it's so, like, not sexual. Like, obviously, there is a million and one ethical reasons why an adult woman should not be sunbathing with what are presumably 17 and 18 year old mm-hmm. girls, obviously. But it is not presented in that way in this. It it feels, in a weird way, it feels like, like your aunt or somebody. Or like even an older sister. Yeah, it feels like an older sister like kind of relationship. Like a sister who maybe is in college or something. Yeah. That's kind of what it feels like. Yeah. So it, the way that it's presented like is very much like, oh yeah, no, she's cool. She hangs out with us. It's fine. It's not a big deal. And mm-hmm. For the teacher, like, this is just an extension of when she was in school. Like, it's, it's, she's barely older than them. Like, it's a weird, moral, muddy, gray area, but I really want to stress and emphasize that, like, it is not her being creepy and gross. Like, this is not a predatory moment. 
Mr. Crowley turns it into a predatory moment because he's looking for an excuse to fire her mm-hmm. because he knows that she will she will radicalize these girls and, and she, she will, is and she is she's radicalizing them as their English teacher. Yeah. She doesn't have a curriculum for them. She's like, find a book that speaks to you and write about it. Like that's what I want you to do. And we actually had to like pause the movie and look up some of the books that these girls were reading because I'm like, I don't understand what most of these are, and I feel like this is actually like. Really good subtext for understanding specific characters. Oh, yeah. Some of them are looking up like 1984 and, you know, that's a character that talks about like how they don't like that they're being watched. So Mm -hmm. that makes perfect sense. Um, One of the girls who's presented as kind of being like a dumb prissy preen is reading Hemingway. Yeah, it's Samantha. Yeah, Samantha's reading Hemingway and she's like, I'm really proud of you. Like, this is really tough material. And it's a nice moment because you're having this teacher affirm her intelligence while at the same time, like subverting expectations with the audience of like, I bet you thought this girl was going to read something fluff and she didn't she Mm -hmm. read classic and difficult literature Mm -hmm. and i thought that was it's such a very nice touch that they have that all right book reports for those of you kind enough to turn one in okay you go the big sleep torch 1984 nietzsche's beyond good and evil Thinking of becoming a fascist? Maybe. Zero. The story of O. Samantha. The sun also rises. Very impressive. A lot of people have a hard time with Hemingway. Her lips must have been exhausted. I specifically love how this teacher interacts with Ziggs. Um, for, for two reasons. So one thing that's just kind of glazed over, um, and I had, there was multiple times in this movie where we had to go, wait, what? And rewind it and rewatch it going, wait, that's actually in this movie. Mm -hmm. Not for the absurd things. It's for the like, oh wait, this movie's way deeper than we thought. Yes. There's a lot of moments where they are giving some really deep and like important time to some of the stuff they're going through. Yes. And specifically when they're all drinking and they're hanging out in a bar and they have like killer Italian folk music just going hard in the background. Zig's just like, just shares a story where she's like, oh yeah, um, I got assaulted by a dude that I was seeing because, and I just, I decided I didn't want to. And mm-hmm. it's just like, wait, there's like a rape subplot to this movie? Mm-hmm. And it's handled like really delicately and it actually ties into all of Zig's characterization that she has as a conversation with Miss um, Gentry where the two are talking and it's like, hey, I know you're like a rebel and you do everything just despite things and that's your whole thing. But because you're doing everything just to spite people who have hurt you or spite people that you don't like, you don't do the things you actually want to do. Right. And it's and it's very interesting how it's even brought up because the first time we hear about this situation from Ziggs, all of the girls are watching porn. Yeah. And when I say that, that immediately sounds like exploitive or voyeuristic or whatever. They're watching it because it's funny. Mm-hmm. Like they're watching this porn and cracking up and making jokes. And they're just like, ooh, is that how that works? Yeah. Like there's even one girl that's talking about like, why would you blow like a blow job? Wouldn't you get air in there? How That would be so weird. And they're like, no, you dummy. Like you don't literally blow you suck and Mm -hmm. she's like oh ew no i'm not doing that (laughs) and it's really funny because like those moments feel the most authentically teen like those conversations are very real and that's when zig shares the story she's like oh yeah i was with this guy and we did these things and blah 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 and it was fine and she presents it in a way 
where like, oh yeah, he didn't even really want to do it. And then like, it felt really good. And he was like, oh yeah, this is awesome. So like, that's the impression that they have of her. And then when she finally confesses, she's like, actually, no, it was the opposite. Like, I didn't want to do it. And it was not fun. And it was really, really hard, but I don't know how to talk about this. And Mm -hmm. they're like, hey, we love you. Like, as she's talking, Patricia Arquette's arm like shows up from out of screen and like lands on her shoulder and is rubbing her shoulder and Mm -hmm. is being like that supportive friend for her. And it's really beautiful. And it's just, you're absolutely right. It's one of those moments where you're like, I can't believe that this exists in this movie in this time period. Uh Uh-huh. Like, even even it's just, like, a small element in this very sexual film. Like, there's this level of um, – it's, like, what we were talking about with, like, the voyeuristic thing of, like, leering inappropriately through, like, a camera versus just, like, we're viewers and they just happen to be sunbathing. Mm-hmm. It's the idea of, like, consent and mm-hmm. where's the line with that. Exactly. And it's so bizarre that it's in this movie. Yeah. It's really I was really not prepared weird. for it to be there and then for it to be handled well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really, really wild. And it it was one of those things where it's like, okay, this is a movie that deserves a bigger discussion and more attention because this isn't just like schlocky teen, forget about it, whatever. Uh Like on the surface, yeah, of course, like it's a sex comedy. Like that's what they're – they're they're getting you in the door Uh with the promise of tits and sex and gross out jokes. Like that's what they're getting you in the door for. It's funny because they don't even have sex really. (laughs) Like, the it only, sort of happens, but, like, barely. The ones that you see is, uh, like, they there's, like, tennis players, like, male tennis players visit the academy, and then they all kind of, like, sync up with the girls, and it's loosely implied that the only reason the tennis players get to go there is specifically because Crowley is trying to get the girls to fuck these men uh-huh. so he can record them and sell it, because yeah. he's a creep. And it's very interesting, like, how that's all presented as like, oh, yeah, look at these girls, like, having sex. But then when you actually watch it in the context of the movie, it's like, I don't want to see any of this. Because I'm not supposed to be seeing we this. We don't even really see anything. Like, we know that, like, oh, hey, they're getting undressed. They're going to have sex. And then we don't actually watch them have sex hardly. No, not really. We see, like, there's we see a, a little lot bit of... T- we see some tennis player butt. We see tennis player butt, and we see a lot of boobs in this movie. So much boobs. So much boobs But in the boobs movie. are just, like, a constant, not specifically a sex thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, they're just there all the time. Yeah. Um, but it's very interesting. It's almost like this movie's tricking you, where it's like, oh, no, we know what you want. Mm-hmm. We know what you think you're in for. Now you're going to get the message on top of all of it. Mm-hmm. And the message being, like, girls need to stick together. Uh, you need to realize when men are pitting you against each other. And you need to understand that, like, yeah, there is a mutual enemy in the patriarchy, and mm-hmm. that's the problem. Yeah. And I think that that is so ridiculously powerful for a movie from New World Pictures who make women in prison movies. Honestly, describing this as like teens first women in prison movie is like such an accurate way. It, it really is. Like it's incredibly accurate. Yeah. Um, but like the end of this movie, after the girls all figure out what's going on, they start staging like ridiculous like satanic and murderous vignettes that are then being shown to like... Foreign diplomats in Crowley's office where there's, like, a German guy and, like, an Italian guy and a French guy or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they're all just, like, oh, no, as, like, these men are being tied down and sacrificed in, like, a cult-like basement. Well, the best part, though, is that everybody is horrified because it looks like it's going to be, like, a sexy thing. And then all of a sudden the women are, like, stabbing men. And the men are all in. That's the other thing, too. The men are in on it. 
Like, yeah. these girls have clearly told these, like, tennis player boys, like, this is what's happening. Will you pretend to, like, be murdered by me? And they're like, hell yeah, let's take him down. Yeah. Which I love. But then the end reveal of that whole scene of all of the diplomats being horrified and then the German one comes in. He's like, oh, you got any more of that? I'm I'll like, buy it. I'm a big fan. I would love to see more. I'm like, which is the fucking German, of course. Which is like such a funny joke of if anyone has ever ended up on like page 75 of Pornhub and you've gotten to like the weird German dungeon born. Mm-hmm. There's some weird shit that's made over there. The, the kind of place that is just going to hit you with every dose of malware. Yeah, I, like I say as someone who is part <laughs> German, like I get it. Yeah, like this is not king shaming. If that's what you're into, that's what you're into. But like you need to admit, German dungeon porn is there's some intense it's shit a going on over there. Subgenre for right. a reason. <laughs> right, right, right. So like there's so many like very clever kind of isms going on in this movie. Uh like again, like the little throwaway moments that make so it so many little throwaway they, moments. They just make it so much funnier. Um, um like God, watching the uh, the muscle men just flex when Ziggs crashes their fancy party with like a rock show, and there's just beefy men she found on the beach just doing like ab stretches in mm-hmm. front of everyone. It's like that's just some background thing that's just happening mm-hmm. for the rest of this scene. Yeah, yeah. There, the pranking kind of stuff is really silly and funny. I mean, Ziggs jumps out of a birthday cake, mm-hmm. so that's a you know a classic good one. Uh, they teach the girls who can't speak English, like they have like a script they're supposed to follow, and mm-hmm. they tell them the wrong things. So then there's just like a group of all of these girls that are like, "My dog has low testosterone." Unusually low. Unusually testosterone low levels. testosterone levels. Like for for these like schmoozy businessy types, it's mm-hmm. like, ah, oh, yes, they're supposed to say, come probably come up and say like, "Hello, you're so handsome," or some dumb shit like that. Like that's yeah. what Crowley is trying to feed them. And it's like, <laughs> no. Yeah, it, ma- it sounds really dumb, but it makes me think of the scene in Encino Man when Brennan Fraser is getting yelled at by the uh, like the Mexican gang lord. And his response is, the cheese is old and moldy. Where is the bathroom? Uh-huh. Um, because that's the only thing he knows how to say in Spanish. Uh-huh. Uh, it's very much got that same energy where like... It doesn't feel like it's being mean or offensive to specifically be like <laughs> mean and offensive. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, this is a fun way to take down kind of the the systemic issues at hand. Yeah. And it's everyone's having a good fun with it. Um, because that's the other thing is like none of this stuff that the girls do ever feels mean spirited. It's, it's all within a certain level. It's all the stuff that like Crowley does that is like so ungodly awful don't trust old old straight white men. I never do. But like the girls, they're all like trying to embarrass me. They're all trying to embarrass him. Everything he's trying to do is like, hey, I want to exploit and ruin your life. Right. That's the difference between these two. Absolutely. But once they realize like what he's really doing, then it's like, oh, no, no, no. Oh, they Gloves don't... are off. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which I think is great. And the thing too is how they even discover what's going on is because it's Zig's birthday and she's, you know, been feeling kind of down or whatever. And the girls throw a surprise party and they all pitch in money and get this really snazzy boombox for her. Mm-hmm. And because Crowley is the no fun club, uh, he takes it from her. So they well, sneak into his office to get it. Like that whole party where the entire school comes together because nothing brings people together like line dancing. <laughs> but like everyone is on the same page. Like it's not even like they're united in their hatred of Crowley. Like that's obviously a thing. 
But it's like, oh, no, like, this is after the conversations they've had with their teacher. This is already she's been kicked out. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of all have each other and the things that she was just trying to be like, hey, maybe stop fighting with each other because there's a bigger enemy afoot. Yes. Like, this is all before that. So it ties into the whole theming of Zig's character, not just learning to do things out of spite or Mm -hmm. out of hatred or out of revenge or whatever. Their entire character motivation has always been her whole life. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I th- again, I think th- I I like it. I like I like the synergy between the theming and the world. Yes, I I agree. And what's always fun when we talk about these movies is that obviously we weren't around in the '80s, so we don't get to have kind of the deep dive like cultural impact discussions mm-hmm. that we can with something like Twilight or whatever. And these are the episodes where I feel like our inner teen girl come out the most. I can hear in my own voice how frequently I'm saying like. Mm -hmm. I can hear in my own voice how frequently I'm speaking in hyperbole because I'm just so excited. Mm -hmm. And I love that there are movies that can still pull that out of me. And this movie is also doing something because we get to see them like going to the beach or going to the city and going shopping and going to the restaurant and drinking and having fun. This is also a movie that can be classified under the category of girls hanging out. Mm -hmm. There are not a lot of movies that are about just girls hanging out and doing stuff and being friends. Mm -hmm. Because there are so many scenes where it's not about the conflict. It's not about what's going on. It's just about them being themselves, discovering who they are and having fun. And it's so refreshing to see that. And it brings me such a joy And we don't get that anymore. Like movies now, like every single scene and every single moment has to have a purpose, has to be pushing the plot forward. There's just not a lot of movies where we're just like, this is what we do. We're just Mm -hmm. hanging out. This is a character study. They don't let teen girls have that anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was really nice to watch this movie and get to feel like I was just hanging out with them. Mm-hmm. Especially when we get to enjoy their escapades around Greece and like the Parthenon and stuff, <laughs> set to like a snazzy '80s music video. <laughs> and this this movie does have its own theme song. Mm-hmm. I miss the days where movies had their own theme songs, sung by the actors. Ah, uh, God, so good. Big big fan, forever a big fan. Um, also, this is not like the cherry-picked kind of 80s where it's like, mm, duckies fit, though. It's like, oh, no, this is the tacky, terrible, awful 80s that was way more common that we don't remember as much. Yeah, it's all of their outfits are fantastic and awful at the same time. I love it. Zig's so outfits tool. are great. Zig's has a couple, like, tool skirts that I would wear today if mm-hmm. I had them. She also has a couple of, like, lip colors mm-hmm. that I'm like, oh, that is very adventurous for you. One of them's like an like a metallic olive. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. <laughs> Haven't seen that color in a movie ever in my life, but that looks great. But okay, um I think this is like the third time I bring this up. But so I actually really want to dive into this even deeper because it's so much of who Zig's characters so when she gets to the academy, like, they have uniforms they're supposed to wear for, like, formal events. Like, which is really, I think, just, like, a jacket. It's like a baby pink jacket. Yeah. So that's what they're supposed to wear for, like, fancy whatevers and meetings and yada, yada, yada. Ziggs is deliberately like, oh, you want me to wear that? Cool. I'm going to wear the loudest thing imaginable. Mm-hmm. Because she is such an embodiment of, like, teen rebellion. Mm-hmm. And this, like fuck you, I won't do what you tell me kind of attitude. Yes. Which is, I I, I, I love and appreciate her spite. Mm-hmm. Um, but like on a deeper level, I am also a person who is heavily motivated by spite. You have said on this show many times before that your greatest inspiration is your mother, but not in a good way, in the way that you know exactly what not to do. 
that's kind of, and that's the thing here. Um, I've really tried over the last few years to sort of rectify that because um, I don't think I ever got to quite the extent that Ziggs does where it's like, oh, you're so focused on who you don't want to be that you don't know, you don't do who be who you actually want to be or you're so focused on rebelling against things you don't actually do the things you want to do. Right. Like, I was never quite to that extent. I've always been very indulgent in the things that I do enjoy. Mm-hmm. But that's not a thing that I see brought up very often, Mm -hmm. especially in teen girl movies, Mm -hmm. because spite is a very angry emotion. It's 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 a very masculine emotion. Exactly. And you don't get that very often. Um, And I think that that's just something I really appreciated seeing in this movie because I'm sitting there going, oh, no, I get that. I, I know this feeling. I know this character so strongly because of that specific motivation. history he fired you yep you're the only thing that keeps this place from being a total joke shit i'm gonna get him and his fucking preens no don't use me as an excuse for your little games little games sarah ever since the day you're so busy fighting for the sake of fighting that you can't see what's going on what's going on is that he gives them everything and we get shit good you're doing exactly what he wants you to do come on think He's throwing you against each other. As long as you're at each other's throats, he can control you. If you'd stop thrashing around for one second, you'd see that you aren't any different from the preens. What? Remember what you said last night about never being what anybody else wants you to be? You're so busy fighting against what Crawley wants you to be. The preens are busy fighting to be what Crawley wants, and nobody's really fighting to be what they want. This, of course, is the infamous guest room. It was in this very room that Benito Mussolini lost his virginity. He was 42 at the time. The type of spite that we normally see in teen girl movies is not spite. It's bitch. Oh, yeah. And there is a difference between that. It's petty. It's vengeful. Yes, it's petty and vengeful. It's not spiteful. It's not rebellious. Mm -hmm. Um, So getting to see that in a character is weirdly very groundbreaking and especially that the movie then dissects why she is the way that yeah. she is because way too often like okay perfect example the the ultimate mean girl is regina george mm-hmm. right we all know who she is how she acts but we don't really ever go into why she acts this way well, we did we did, but other people don't. And the movie certainly doesn't. The movie doesn't no, go into not it. not at all. This movie does. This movie is like, we're presenting you with this character who is doing things because she wants to, is a contrarian for the sake of being a contrarian, mm-hmm. and we're going to tell you why. And I think that that's so important because we as people have a tendency to be like, oh, I hate them, they're a bitch. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, I hate them, they're an asshole. It's and easy. It's easy. And we never stop to go, okay, well, what's going on? Like, why are they a bitch? Why are they an asshole? Because people don't just wake up like that. That's mm-hmm. not how that works. Yeah. And I guess from like a writing standpoint, maybe it's a little too obvious to just have the teacher be like, hey, here's what you're doing. And maybe you shouldn't do that. But also... It's a teen movie, and also, she's a teacher. That makes total sense that she would do that. And also, teenagers have to learn things. Yes. A lot of times we did things without knowing why we were doing them. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, people dog on the movie Big Daddy all the time. But one of the scenes in that movie that I think is so important is when he looks at the goth kid in Central Park, and he's like, hey, who won the game last night? And he's like, 
don't look at me, whatever, and is being like super dismissive. And then Adam Sandler's like, you're not mad at me. You're mad at your father. I forgive you. And he's like, you're right. I hate my father. (laughs) And obviously, like, it's a joke and you should not be psychoanalyzing strangers on the street. But that is such an important thing. Like, this dude was immediately dismissive, like, fuck you. I hate you. Mm -hmm. He's not actually mad at Adam Sandler. He's mad at his dad. Like, there's something going on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. We don't know what is going on in people's lives unless we ask them like Mm -hmm. we don't know and even then they don't have to tell us what's going on it's none of our fucking business it's true i think that we're getting at like as a culture who consumes a lot of media especially over the like say the last two years where that's all we do is consume media and hang out on on the computer i think that we're getting to a point where we're now trying to wrap up everyone's lives in like really nice neat narrative ways and that's also i think destructive in a really bad way Mm because now it's overcompensating Mm mm-hmm No, you're exactly right. That's absolutely what's happening. And what's also so weird is that people make these assumptions based on the information they have, and they assume that the information they have is the only information that's available. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. Mm -hmm. Like, this is the dumbest example, but I'm going to make it anyway. It's fine. This is a kind of dumb movie. (laughs) (laughs) So the day that we're recording this, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequel came out. Uh... Yes. Yeah, it's not great. Oh, God, it's awful. There's a lot of problems there. Jesus. That's a conversation for a different day. However, I did, you know, I tweeted my piece about it. I was like, hey, there's an aspect of this movie that I find, like, horrifically offensive. And it's very strange to me that a lot of people aren't talking about it. Mm -hmm. Shortly after that tweet, I found out that someone very near and dear to me has passed away. And I am going to be flying back home to Chicago to be a part of that and you'll be in chicago when this goes up i will be in chicago when this goes up and it was this moment where i was filled with so much pain and sadness and i didn't know like what to do and then i looked at twitter and it was like a bunch of people that were like look at this dumb bitch look at what she's saying you clearly didn't miss it this is being mean this is overcompensating sj like just a flood of people being obscene about it. Mm-hmm. And I finally was like, I'm just, I'm deleting it. And so I deleted it. And then I wrote another piece that was like, hey, I deleted that tweet. Not because I, I don't stand by what I said, but because I'm going through something really serious right now in my real life. And I need to focus my mental energy on processing that mm-hmm. and not what some strangers on the internet are projecting onto me because of a fucking slasher movie. Mm-hmm. Like, There is a world outside of the internet, and I know that the last two years has really exacerbated things because we're not outside, and we're all kind of just in these online bubbles at all all times, but watching a movie like Pretty Smart was such a great reminder of like, yeah, we don't know people. Like, we really don't. We think we do, but we don't, and that's why like making friendships is so important. Mm -hmm. That's why making connections with people, like real actual legitimate connections with people is so important Mm -hmm. because you you can't like i don't even know if i've said this on the show before but there was like this big stink that happened in in my life not that long ago and a a mutual friend of mine was being kind of harassed on the internet and when somebody called them out on it they were their response was oh i'm not harassing them like we're mutuals we're friends and we had to explain like just because you follow somebody on social media does not make them your friend like Mm -hmm. that's not how this works. You don't know this person. Mm-hmm. You don't... We ain't friends. We don't hang out. Yeah, we don't hang out. I don't know you. You don't know my mom. <laughs> like, yeah. no, that's not how this works. And I don't know. It's just very nice to have watched a movie like this that was able to, 
you know, recontextualize a lot of things and kind of give me that reminder because I get sucked into the internet way too often than I would like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this movie kind of took me out of it for a little bit and, and was like, no, no, make friends. Like, it, make those connections. They're very, very important. And that's not to say that you can't start a friendship on the internet. Um, you absolutely can. And you can make deep connections with people through the internet. That mm-hmm. is a thing you can do. But, like, when it's exclusively that way, like, oh, human contact is important. You're, 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 you're dancing on glass, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but, like, just think about that, though. How, how guys who lash out at you on the internet go, like, oh, SJW. How much of that is them doing something out of spite? Right. It's just reactionary. Right. I mean, we recently had the anniversary of the time that I got to pull a Lindy West or a Shrill, for those of you who watched the show Shrill, and I got to call out one of my harassers because I found their identity, and their response was that they were upset because they had nobody to talk to about horror and everybody wanted to talk with me, and they also had a crush on me, and I clearly did not have a crush on them, and they didn't know what to do with their feelings, so they harassed me relentlessly for years. For years. Like, nearly a decade. Uh-huh. It's uh, real fucked up. Right. So that whole time, like, I'm being bombarded with harassment and, like, and never and never was it okay. Uh-huh. But it was that thing of, like, I don't know what was going on with this person's life. And that was the thing. I had to remind myself of that. Every time they would send me, a, like, an abusive message, it was like, this is clearly not about me. Uh-huh. Because this much anger towards a stranger, that's it's not about me. Uh-huh. It's something else. Uh-huh. And Pretty Smart does a really, really good job at explaining that kind of mentality. And also, like, hey, you should be focusing your anger on a justified cause. Yes. (laughs) Don't misdirect your anger. Like, I know it's hard for teens in particular, but like, yes. Yeah. And you're you're right. It's really difficult for teenagers sometimes to contextualize, like, what they're actually mad at. We talked about it in the Twilight episode. Like, Mm -hmm. I lashed out at Twilight. It was not Twilight's fault. I was mad at the system. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know. And sometimes... You need the misgentries to tell you. <laughs> you need someone to guide you. That's why mentors and teachers are so important. Mm-hmm. And I like that this movie prioritizes that. And I do too. Like a lot. So this is ultimately going to be a shorter episode. And with this movie in particular, and a lot of the movies like Teen Movie Hell, they're usually not that deep. Uh, I mean, there were aspects of this movie that are deep. We already discussed them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but more so, we want these episodes to be a reminder that it's important for us to consume the media outside of the stuff that, you know, pulls on our own personal nostalgia strings. Oh, yeah. This is a movie that I did not grow up with, but there is a generation of teens that did. A very, very, very small section of that generation. <laughs> I don't know. People could have gotten this on uh, rentals. You never know. Oh, God. I can only imagine what they thought they were getting when they picked up this VHS. <laughs> you never know, though, because there there's two different posters. There's a poster with Trisha Lee Fisher and Patricia Arquette looking cool and stylish on the front. And mm-hmm. then there's also the poster where it is just two pairs of boobs in bras facing off like it's over the top so <laughs> depending on what cover art you got i think that's going to dictate who actually watched here's this movie. the thing this movie has such clashing ideals i think everyone was going to be disappointed which brings back my original question of who is this for no one knows i don't know i think it's for you and i because we had a great time you know what it's true um this movie Put a smile on my face, and obviously, it's from 1987. There are many aspects of this that you have to take with a big pinch of salt because it has not aged well. Yeah, it's like, got to be a pinch, not just a pinch of salt, it's a pinch of salt and a shot of tequila. Yeah, it's a lot, but also, it's really funny and its heart's in the right place. Mm-hmm. And it just 
made me have a good time for like 85 minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. That, Agreed that, completely. That's really all I could ask for out of a fucking weird movie that was wildly missold to me. <laughs> so as always, like, please take our teen movie hell episodes as a sign to to search out teen media that was not made during your teen years because yeah. there's there's value in it there's fun discussions to be had and it's also kind of interesting to see some of the building blocks that led to the movies that we got to enjoy when we were teenagers definitely and this is always one of my favorite segments to do because i just love deep cut like 80s <laughs> and god forbid 70s teen mm-hmm. films oh they're my yeah, they favorite it's the wild west god, in the 70s they're incredible there's no <laughs> rules <laughs> well harmony i feel the time has come Pretty Smart is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes? No. Maybe? Or are you buying a ticket so they can go on their own? Oh, yes, because we have that fourth option now. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's a yes. I figured. It's definitely a yes. <laughs> uh, I think this movie is so absurd and so much fun and has all of my ideals in the right place. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I like these female characters. I, I think the subs are all super cool. They're a great group. I would be friends with all of them. Yeah, precisely. I, I I know we probably didn't talk enough about most of them, but like I just think that they're all they look cool and they seem fun, and that's really all I want out of a group of girls to hang out with. Mm-hmm. Um, also, just what up? We get to talk about Patricia Arquette instead of David for once. I know. Look at that. Yeah, like the Arquettes are really dominating this year of the show. Yeah. I need to get Alexis in here, which I don't think we'll be able to swing at any point. But oh, I would be so happy. We get the trifecta. We. We can swing one Alexis Arquette. No, there's a couple. But one we can for sure swing is Bride of Chucky because Catherine Heigl's in that. And everyone is so fixated on Chucky and Tiffany that they forget the fact that, that this there's movie's, other characters that in this, this movie is about two teenagers in love trying to escape the city because their sheriff dad, John Ritter, won't let them be together. I mean, those characters are almost an afterthought because they are so overshadowed by the villains. But like, I don't know, uh, you, if I really wanted to stretch for it, we could do like Last Exit to Brooklyn. Um, there's yeah. the wedding singer, kind of. They're adults. I know, but it's it's very popular <laughs> with teens. That is true. Uh, we just got done. Specifically, teen girls like it a lot. That is true. We just got done with Valentine's Day, and uh, when I was in high school, we used to do singing telegrams, like singing mm-hmm. Valentines, and. Uh, oh, did someone do the "Somebody Kill Me" song? Uh, no. So what's funny oh. is you could you could break up with people. You could get like love bites, and they would sing, uh, or like love hurts. People would request, and that was always awkward. But my junior year history teacher uh, hired myself and my singing partner Jarrell Sparks. Love you, miss you every day. You're the best. Um, but we went to his wife's work, which was like off campus at like a couple minutes down the road from school. And we showed up at her office and saying, I want to grow old with you <laughs> as like a paid Valentine. And it was just very oh, sweet that's and very cute. Sweet. I love that. Um, I, yeah, I love that movie. I don't know. Maybe we could do that. But I, I, I'm really stretching here. Like there's no obvious clear cut thing. But then again, there wasn't <laughs> an obvious clear cut thing for us to get Patricia Arquette on this show. So you, know, <laughs> you never we, know. We got her here. No, we'll do Dream Warrior or something. Someday. I, I Which is that. also really funny. Pretty smart advert like the, their big advertisement is introducing Patricia Arquette, and there was some sort of production delay, so this showed up a month after Dream Warriors. Yeah. So this is actually not her introduction. Yeah, this was supposed <laughs> to be in uh, 1986, according to the credits. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't. No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> it came up the next year. Yeah, shit happens. Whatever it happens. Yeah. Well, wonderful. I'm, I'm glad to hear that it's a yes. And I think that takes us out on Pretty Smart. Uh, I hope it inspires people to check it out. We rented it 
I think it's on YouTube, but... I think we watched it on Prime because we pay for things. We pay for things because we're good kids. Or we may have downloaded an app to specifically watch this one. It's a little it's a little bit of a deep cut. I don't remember exactly what I don't we remember found either. it. Either way, we found it. It's, it was around. It's fun. Definitely check it out. And uh, if you want to support the show, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ThisEndsAtProm. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BJColangelo. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. Uh, go compliment our fancy pictures we just got taken because we feel pretty. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Ray Mystic, you incredible, amazing photographer. If you are in the Pasadena or Anaheim area, definitely check out Ray Mystic uh, at Ray Mystic Productions on Instagram. Uh, they took our pictures they look so cool. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited about them. Yeah, I just like, I really like just looking at our own faces. Like, we look lovely. <laughs> so, yeah. And as always, huge thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Harmony, what cool indie band do you want people to check out this week? Uh, I am going to plug something that is very synth-based. I it, It's maybe not as uh, plucky and delightful as the music of Pretty Smart, but also... Uh, I don't know if I want to listen to a whole album of the music of Pretty Smart. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the band I want to plug for you is called Soft Kill. They do a lot of very um, 80s new wave, but by way of more of like maybe a, maybe a little more of like new order, like the sad kind of new wave. Um, they released an album called Dead Kids R.I.P. City a couple years ago. That's that was one name. of my favorite albums of the year. And they do have a, uh, a new, I guess, probably EP or... Uh, Maybe it's a single of a Cicero. I think that all of it's quite wonderful. If you just want some like moody, sad music, then Soft Kill is definitely like the way to go. Awesome. All right, friends, that takes us out. Until next time, and don't forget to save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye. <laughs>